death. Death's the inescapable enemy. We can spend our whole lives keeping him at bay or hiding from him, fighting against him with health foods, exercise, general avoidance of all sharp objects, using the great gifts of science that the Lord has given us. But one day, without exception, you will all face him. We will all face death. For some, this is no surprise, because they live life where death is an ever-present reality round every corner. In the midst of wars they live, on estates with gang violence and threats, famine and sickness, aging bodies coming to the end of their time. Or maybe they even caught it and wish for it because of just the pain that they feel in life. But for most, I would say in our society, it's ignored. It's switched off from when the news ends. It's confined to hospital wards and crematoriums that operate as efficiently as McDonald's. Whilst we watch as much Netflix as possible in our short, miraculous time on this planet. But the reality is that death is inescapable for us all. Steve Jobs reportedly said, no one wants to die. Even people who want to get to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. Nearly, Steve. Isaiah, the great prophet of the Bible called death, the covering that has cast over all peoples and the veil that is spread over all nations. Isaiah 25.7. Everyone will face death. Ultimately, this enemy will defeat us all. Most of the time, sooner than we want. It doesn't matter what background you're from, what beliefs you have, it's a certainty for everyone. Do you know, I, I remember the very first time that I encountered death in my life. Do you know, I was in school and another kid had been given a far too overpowered car as his first car as a gift from his wealthy parents. And on a country road one night, he span off the road and crashed it and he killed another boy in my school. And, um, I didn't know, I didn't know this lad well, but he was close to a, a number of my friends. But I just remember the whole thing so, so vividly. I remember looking out over the valley where I grew up and seeing the helicopters that night and knowing, you just know something's out of place, that it was wrong. And then the news spread round and got to my ears that this boy was dead. And I just remember that jarring feeling that this was out of place. And in the weeks and months that follow, I remember the pain and the sadness in many good friends who'd grown up with him. 
and not quite knowing how to deal with the helplessness I felt. The finality of it all. The pointlessness that life seemed to carry when we all die. Death, which had been so distant, burst into my young life and mind, bringing so much emotions and so many questions with it. You know, very few things leave us with as many questions and scars and dealt with and unanswered as death in our life. Confusion, pain, suffering. And it touches us throughout our lives. Do you know, the authors of the Bible didn't turn away from death. They grappled with some of these very same things. Solomon, writing in Ecclesiastes, said, because of death, all is meaningless vanity. Everything we do is just vanity. All are from the dust, and for dust all will return. Death is hard. So in all of this reality, all of this question, questioning, in the strength of this enemy that we all will face one day, how do we as Christians, how are we invited to respond to death? How are we invited to respond to death? Well, do you know... If you can turn your Bibles to John chapter 11, fourth gospel in the New Testament, if you've got it, or on your phones, Jesus encounters death. In all its sudden pain, its mess and difficulty, when he lost his friend, Lazarus. And this story, as we read what Jesus did and what happened, helps us really grapple with this question of how should we respond to death. Are you there? Great. I want to do something different. I'm going to actually read from the Bible today in bite-sized chunks, and then we'll just have a look at some of the things and try and draw out some of the things in each of those chunks. So read with me, will you, the first four verses. I'm reading from the ESV. Sorry if that confuses at all with your translations. Starts like this. Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So when we start this story, Jesus has just retreated from Jerusalem, where his preaching had caused people to uh, want to violently revolt against him and harmed him. So he'd gone back up to a place of safety up by the Jordan River where he was baptised by John and was ministering to those people in that area to avoid the violence of the religious leaders. And here we read that he had a message from some of his closest friends, Mary and Martha, that their brother Lazarus, whom we read he loved was dear to Jesus, was seriously ill. And straight away, we see Jesus reveal something about this specific illness in this story that is about to unfold, which we have to take note of. Verse 4, this illness doesn't lead to death, 
but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Tricky. But in other words, we find out that this specific situation, this story which is about to unfold, unravel before us, would be to show something new about the person of Jesus to people that they had not seen or fully understood yet, to bring them clarity on it, to see clearly the incredible extent of the glory that God had put into the person of Jesus Christ. Lazarus' illness, we find out here, was a teaching illness. The story that unfolds was going to teach us something new about Jesus and about his relationship to death. That's the first thing. Let's read on. 11.5 to 16, a slightly longer chunk. Stay with me. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you really going to go there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he is the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because light, the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking rest in sleep. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may all die with him. So here we see Jesus' response to this news of illness and the purpose he knows God has in it. And what we see is that Jesus rejecting his disciples not to do so, makes the decision to go to Mary and Martha's village, which was back just two miles from Jerusalem, where people had been threatening his life. So he tells the disciples, when they rebuke him, he says, look, no, when we are with me, it's like walking in the sun. You're safe and you're sound. You don't have to have any fear of death right now when I am with you. No fear of death or stumbling like you were walking in the dark. It's like walking in the sun when you're walking with me. You're safe. And equally, he's not discouraged by Thomas's, let's say, less than daring faith here in his response at the end of this, where he says, Jesus, let's all go then, that we may all die with you. Do you know? Wow, what an encouragement. (laughs) Do you know I wonder if hanging out with Thomas was a bit like hanging out with Eeyore or Puddle Glum at times. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I kind of believe you, but give me something extra. Do you know, 
But actually, he still displays faith. I think there's something encouraging for anybody who's got a slightly puddle glummishy or a spirit here that, that actually he still goes with Jesus. Even though he's a little bit focused on the risk, he's going, do you know what, Jesus? There's enough about you to still go with you and display faith. But do you see here that Jesus just wasn't put off by the warnings or discouragements? He rebuked his disciples and set out for Jerusalem in and his friend, because we read in verse 5, he loved Lazarus. And because he knew God had this purpose in it. Do you know, this response to his disciples and the decision to go back to Jerusalem starts to reveal something straight away to us about Jesus' attitude towards death, doesn't it? And it shows this, that Jesus' decisions were not governed, ruled, or shaped by a fear of death. The potential of death just did not phase him like it would you or me. And don't make no mistake, the danger was very real to his life here. And in many ways, the disciples' response is caring and loving and wise. You see, just weeks earlier, because of his controversial treatment in In Jerusalem, we read that a mob of Jewish leaders had picked up great stones from the ground, imagine bricks, in readiness to bludgeon him to death because they saw what he was saying was so damaging and harmful. But Jesus here fearlessly walked towards this and encouraged others to do so with him, knowing that it was not his allotted time to die. He was not governed by or afraid of death. But there's something more, if you look at this passage that we've just read, something deeper that starts to unfold in this passage in regard to Jesus and death. Here we start to see that Jesus had a deeper knowledge of death than your average punter. Not just in himself, but in others as well. We find in verse 11 and 14 that Jesus already knows that his friend has died. There's no sign of anyone telling him this. And this confuses, this knowledge confuses the disciples, doesn't it? But even more than this, in some way, he hints that he is going to awaken his friend from this death. He has some sort of key to unlocking death, this final, eternal, painful ending to everyone. Something about what this story is going to be revealing here involves his ability to awaken people from that eternal slumber of death. I just, do you know, sometimes you just have to put yourself in the Bible to get it. And I just wonder, I wonder what it would have been like walking with Jesus. Imagine you were just walking with Jesus for a second in this situation, you know you're walking to extreme danger and you know he's going to do something unbelievable. You've seen him do lots of unbelievable things before, incredible things. Fear, anticipation. I feel like it might have been like walking into the eye of a storm where there was just tension and anticipation and excitement and fear and fighting to trust and standing in faith. What would happen? What was going to happen? Read on with me. 17 to 27. Now when Jesus came 
the village of Mary and Martha. He found that Lazarus had indeed already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in her house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. The great unveil. As Jesus approaches the town, a couple of things happen. It's confirmed that not only is his friend dead, he has been dead for four days, verse 17. He has been thoroughly beaten and defeated by death. No one is in any doubt of this. He was already long gone from the world we know. Secondly, as Jesus approaches, he has a conversation with Martha, Martha, Lazarus's grieving sister, who comes out of town to meet him. And Martha starts this conversation with some exceptional faith in Jesus and the word of God. Firstly, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know whatever you ask for, God will give you. Verse 21 to 22. Secondly, when Jesus says he will rise again, she recognises from her Jewish background that there will be a resurrection of his body at the end of the days, at the end of days, when God chooses to wrap up all of history, to stand before him in judgment, everyone who's ever lived, everything we've ever done, stand before him. And the Holy One, God who created you, knitted you together in your mother's womb, will judge everything you've ever done by his holy standard. She recognised that this was coming to her brother who had died. Do you know, I feel so challenged by this faith straight away. Both of these things are so much better faith than I have got half the time. She has faith that Jesus can bring about the healing of anyone. And had Jesus been there, Her brother would have been healed. There's not even a hint for her of doubt in that. Jesus brings supernatural healing because of who he is. We've been reading um, Mark as a a life group, just reading it out and and just going through it and, and seeing what Jesus did afresh. And do you know what? It has been just incredible, hasn't it? Just like Jesus did this, he did this, he did this, he healed this, he drove this out, he changed this. She'd walked with Jesus. If you hang out with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, crowds of the crippled, chronic, infirm, blind, terminal and broken would be healed. That was her experience. She had no doubt about it. 
That was what it was to hang out with Jesus. The sick got healed. And she also had real faith that on one day we will stand before God. This is one that I kind of keep in my back pocket. You know, like just, okay, I kind of know that's taught in the Bible, but I'll just, I'll just keep that out of the way. One day I'm going to stand before a holy God. Oh my. Do you know, there'll be this, this day when my thoughts, my heart, the deepest things of me, which I know just honestly hands up before you, are not great. Even this morning, I was just, I was just off form. You know, getting kids out of the house. I was not, I'm not a holy man who stands here before you. I'm a grumpy dad who's a bit annoyed about having to come and set up church today. I was annoyed that my two brothers both took holidays at the same time. And I was grateful of Ryan and Matt. <laughs> Very grateful. And just the encouragement, you know. And people stepping in. That, but that was my heart this morning. It wasn't coming to church with joy and, and holiness at all. It was coming here thinking, well, do you know, do I want to stand before God? No, I'd rather stuff that truth away. But front and centre for her, she had that faith. But what Jesus' response realises and shows us is that even in this clear faith, there is not something not fully understood about Jesus and his glory to her. So Jesus makes it explicit. This is the new fuller thing in this situation he wants to show about himself and his enemy death. So he, and he does this using the final I am statement. For those who haven't been here, we've been going through Jesus' I am statements. Statements that he makes when he wants people to be fundamentally crystal clear and unmistaken about who he says he is and what he came to do. And he says this, I am the resurrection and the life, Martha. Whoever believes in me, whoever trusts, whoever has faith in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And he who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What he is saying to Martha here is actually incredibly simple, but it is incredibly challenging and incredibly life-changing. And it invites us to have a much fuller trust in him and and what he is in relation to death. What he's saying is this. Where death holds the power over you and all of mankind, I want you to realise I completely hold the power over death. So that although people die, when they believe in who I am, when they're under my rule, they will be brought back to life and so shall never die. Martha, he says, I am not governed by death in the same way you are. I have knowledge of it that you don't have. And if I command death, it must go. I don't just heal every disease, cast out demons, or justify those who are raised on the last day. In every situation that you can conceive, I am king over death. But this is known not by me stopping death, but by overcoming it and bringing people back from it when they have put their trust in me to do so. Do you believe 
this. I am so struck by this question here. I love it. I hate it. It rings right the way through my spirit. Like Jesus wanted to drill this question into the very pit of my soul. That it might take root there. Do you believe that I am more than a healer of sickness? But king over death and all its many effects. Whether it be the fear in life that it generates. Whether it be a resurrecting and bringing new life out of the pain of loss. Like a coming spring budding out of winter. Whether it be the spiritual death that we're all dead in before Jesus comes to us and reveals himself to us. That brings blindness and brokenness of relationship with God. Whether it be a resurrection from death's law as he brings you into that new life with him in all its colour and glory and resets your vision on all that life can be. To take you out of things like suicidal intent and fix you on the life of hope that he always intended for you. Or whether it be a literal raising to life who has died before our eyes. Or whether it be that future resurrection, that new whitewashed life that he gives us. So actually when we stand before God, I'm not standing with a film of my life playing, I'm standing with the covering of Jesus' blood, grace, freedom as I stand before God, that I may pass through judgment. Fully forgiven, justified, acquitted, even though I do not deserve it. Death has many effects. Jesus here is saying he is king of them all, now and forevermore. In him alone lies resurrection and life. Where does the story go from here? What a statement, what a, what a claim. Just in this electric storm of a moment where Jesus makes it totally plain who he is. This huge claim. Where does it go? You just now must be the point when something incredible happens, right? I'm not going to read the next section just because of time today. But we do need to take note of it. Because it is deeply important. And as I first looked at it, I was like, this doesn't fit. Just do something awesome. You've just said you're the resurrection and the life. And I've just got this fresh revelation as I've been looking at you of who this is. But actually, there's a section that breaks in here where we see something of Jesus' heart and character that is so important and see something about a response to death that is so important. After this great clarifying I am pronouncement that Jesus is king over all forms of death, after the build-up here, there's an amazing pause where Jesus goes to those who are mourning and grieves with them in great compassion and anguish. He experiences alongside them all of the pain and the loss of the loved one with them. Not answering all their questions, but just presencing himself with them. Sharing in their loss, a 
acknowledging that even though he's king over death, because it exists in this world, it is still painful, it is still jarring, it is still confusing, but showing that he walks through that with us, with understanding. And you actually get the shortest verse in the Bible here. Jesus wept, which tells us so much about his intimate love for us and compassion. You know, although Jesus knew with a certainty that he could heal death. And he clearly had it in his mind in the story that healing was coming. He here fully understood that even with the knowledge of the resurrection to come, death is still painful. It is still jarring. Wherever it touches. You know, I've met both crushed Christians by death and I've met those who live in la-la land. Overly triumphant. Not acknowledging the loss. Not working through the reality of the situation. Because they have to believe Jesus is the resurrection. And that's what real faith looks like. I'll say Jesus here dispels this. Completely. Yes, he is the resurrection king. But he is the deeply compassionate king as well. Who will walk with you hand in hand. Every moment of the way, in your grief, giving assurance and giving compassion. Yes, he is the resurrection. But while death is present, it is emotional, painful, and grief bringing. He stops in this story to make sure that we do not forget that. But then he goes on. Then he goes on. Read 11.38 to 44 with me. I would have turned my page, the thin pages. It might take me some time. I have sausage fingers. You go. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour. I know, stinketh. Have you got it? That is my favourite verse. Have you not got that bit? The ki- Sorry, like, I know we're on the build-up here, but there's a, um, there's a verse in the King James that he talks about odour here. In the King James Version, it says, my Lord, by now he stinketh. I just... <laughs> drills at home. Listen, this guy was smelly. He'd been dead for four days. In a hot country, yeah. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this, on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus! I wake you up. That was my loud voice. Come out! The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, 
unbind him and let him go. Here in this money where your mouth is moment, with many onlookers, Jesus shows he is king of death. The resurrection king who has power to beat the enemy of death. He shows it. And with all authority, he calls Lazarus out of death. Lazarus, come out. Get out of that tomb and have a bath. And Lazarus simply comes out. Death obeys. There's no fireworks, just gone. And Lazarus walks out. Two things I just want you to take note of here. Because of who he is, Jesus resurrects Lazarus with absolute confidence. There is no will he, won't he, when Jesus commands. Death goes and resurrection happens. That is the assurance that he wants to bring to you. When you stand under him because of him, this is how confident he wants us to be that he is the resurrection and the life. Secondly, he expresses a deep hope as he does this. The people, as they see this, as they hear this story, will come to understand fully and finally who he is. That this will finally become apparent to them that he is the resurrection king of death. Who with one creative sentence says to death, go. And takes away all of its influence, saying, unbind him and let him go. He is so hopeful that what is seen in this event will lead those who saw it to come to understand him and come to follow him. Come to see him and come to know this resurrection life as well. That is his deep hope. That is his deep hope. For everybody here and everybody in eternity, that is why he came. That is what he wants you to know. He is the resurrection king. And that resurrection is available to you through faith. Let's come back. How do we... um, Well, jumped on there, haven't I? So how in light of this teaching should we respond to death? If I can just wrap up. I think the Bible teacher John Piper sums it up so well. I don't so much pray that death will be out of pain, but without doubt. I don't so much pray that death will be without pain, but without doubt. Death will happen in life. It will be painful. It will bring grief and sadness and questions, all of which are okay. But Jesus wants us to take him at his word. Know fully who he is and have faith in him as the son of God. Not just as a healer, the one who will help us on the day of judgment, but one who is king of death, who can both prevent it through healing or even more will resurrect us from its grip. Do you know when we preach the good news of Jesus Christ, we so often can just preach the cross. Jesus dying for our punishment and forgiveness. Whilst this is magnificent, and it truly is that one would take my place in death, The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is more than just the cross. It is an empty tomb. Empty grave like Lazarus is. 
It's the grave left behind him as he rose again. As he defeated it, as he overcame it. It is both a life of forgiveness given and a new life that he won over death given. A resurrected life by the Holy Spirit in the power of God. And without this, without this, without this, you miss the very heart of a life, of what a life with Jesus brings. John Stott, famous Bible teacher, says Christianity in its very essence is a resurrection religion. The idea of resurrection coming back from death lies at its very heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. Jesus didn't just prove he was king of death by raising Lazarus. He showed it by overcoming death himself. It's coming, isn't it? Easter's coming. Even though he died on a cross, he is now alive. The story we have read today was just a forerunner, however remarkable, of a greater resurrection. And he invites us to share in this victory over death by faith, by trusting him, trusting in his story above every other story, trusting in the proofs that he gave above every other proof, standing under his kingship, above standing under the rule of any false man-made idol, by faith, by trust in him. To say, Jesus, I trust that I need your forgiveness and some of that resurrection power from death and its effects in my life. And the Holy Spirit, which is then sent by God to bring that new life in us. His resurrection life by the Holy Spirit, by his very presence coming into us in exchange for those filthy rags that were my life. That, that is the gospel. And I can never do it justice. We must never become shy of displaying it as such in a world that believes death is the end. So today, Jesus, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he wants us to come to have a resurrection trust in him the king of death. A trust that means doubt takes the back seat. A trust that means we, like him, don't become governed by a fear of death or its effects. But know that it is Jesus who numbers our days and that we have new life in him by faith in the Spirit. And he who can will either heal us from sickness in this life or bring us into new resurrected life after death. Do you believe this?